Earlier this year, a severe snowstorm hit Yosemite National Park, causing a lot of damage. The park's team needed to swiftly jump into action in order to fix the damage. There was only one problem. They were severely lacking in the amount of staff members needed. The regional office sent an email to everyone nearby, asking for assistance from other members of the National Park Service. They got the help they needed, thankfully, and the park was repaired. But it showed one of the problems our National Park Service faces while they try to do an incredibly important job. Preserve the history and land of America. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we look at the past, present, and future of American progress and culture, discovering our values along the way. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. And I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series, Reconnecting Roots. In the TV show, we look at the big picture of a topic, but here, we're able to do a bit more of a deep dive. And I'll be your guide throughout our story today. And I'll be out in the field, learning from people all across America. And today, we're looking at our national parks, the role they've played in preserving American history and the challenges they face today. Personally, I love going to our parks. I've been to quite a few and camped at some of them even. I always end up seeing something new every time I go, like the last park I went to, which was the Volcano National Park in Hawaii. We got up close to see cracks in the ground where giant clouds of warm steam poured out endlessly. Then, when you turn to your left, you looked over this massive crater that was caused by the last eruption at Kilauea. It was one of those things that you just have to see with your own eyes to truly believe, you know? The parks are something that are easy to take for granted, at least for me. You know, but every time I visit one of these, I'm reminded of how special it is to at least have some of America's landscape and nature protected and preserved. Witnessing something like Old Faithful can be a spiritual experience. What is it about the beauty of nature that's ingrained within us? And no one can argue with how awe-inspiring the Grand Tetons are, or how absolutely beautiful Lake McDonald is sitting at the foot of Glacier National Park. The thought of not being able to see these amazing parts of our country would seem weird to me because it feels like such a natural thing for us to have. But without our National Park Service, who knows what the current state of our parks would look like? or how many would be open right now. So what is the National Park Service and what do they do? The National Park Service is a government agency designed to conserve the land and animals within our national parks, along with some of our national monuments. One of the goals of the agency is to make sure that the public can enjoy as much of these parks as possible, both now and in the future. This requires regular maintenance and upkeep of our parks, along with making sure people can easily access them in the first place. It's a lot of work that demands a huge amount of workers and volunteers, but the result is that a big part of our country's history and culture is being preserved. We've had the National Park Service for over 100 years now, but what did it look like before then? Was anything being done to protect our land? It seems obvious to us now to have a system that protects our national parks, but before the service was created, it wasn't as clear to people back then. America was still young, barely a hundred years old when the first national park was created. 
We didn't know as much about nature and the environment as we do now. We were still trying to explore and uncover new territory from coast to coast. John Muir proved to be a powerful influence. He was passionate about experiencing nature and regularly went hiking and camping all over the country. He wrote about his experiences constantly, and they proved to be fairly popular and very influential, which helped lead to Yosemite being protected by the state of California in 1864. This was the first step towards our government being proactive in protecting our natural landscapes. The next step would be Yellowstone, which was the key to the creation of national parks. It was the first in our nation and the first national park in the world, made official by President Ulysses S. Grant in 1872. I've been to Yellowstone several times, starting when I was in high school and my family took a vacation there. I can honestly say I've never been anywhere like it. It is such a wildly diverse park, from beautiful scenic views such as Artist Point along the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone to fascinating boiling mud pots that reek of the smell of sulfur. And the wildlife that roams throughout the park is also pretty amazing. I mean, it's both thrilling and slightly terrifying when you round a corner and run into a grizzly bear just minding its own business. On our National Parks episode for the TV show, I was lucky enough to get a tour from park ranger Trudy Patton, who filled me in on a lot of the details regarding the park and how it works. This looks big. How big is it? Yellowstone is over 2.2 million acres. Wow. It's hmm. a large park. I've heard 4 million people come every year through Yellowstone. For the past two years, we have had over 4 million visitors. And this year will probably be over 4 million as well. To run a park like that, you do need a lot of people. Here in Yellowstone, most of our rangers are actually seasonal, just here in the summertime when we get our highest visitation. We have about 320 permanent Park Service employees and about 430 seasonal Park Service employees. The concessions that run the hotels, the parks, the restaurants, the gift shops have over 3,000 employees in the summertime. And a lot of the visitors that come here, it's not just from the U.S. I've seen a lot of international visitors. Why do you think 4 million people keep coming to this park every year? Yellowstone was originally set aside because of the geothermal wonders here. But it's also a relatively intact temperate ecosystem, one of the largest in the world. So people often come to Yellowstone now to see that wildlife as well. What do you think it would look like if, if this hadn't been preserved? In your own mind, what do you think we would be looking at today? My guess is there would be a lot of development that would have happened inside of what is present day Yellowstone. This area where we're standing now, Mammoth Hot Springs, may have become a spa like you would find in Europe. But there was no one organization that kept up with all of this. It was starting to be a noticeable problem. For example, in 1894, a superintendent at Sequoia National Park went to check on the area that now makes up the Sierra National Forest. He was shocked to see the area completely overrun with sheep, almost half a million by his estimate. They grazed until it looked like there was hardly any grass left. The horses that the superintendent rode on didn't even have enough to eat. It was that bad. Even though that area of land had been set aside to be protected 16 months prior, 
none of it had been managed. In fact, most of it wasn't even open to the public, even though it was technically classified as public land. What this really meant at the time was that the land was waiting to be purchased by a private party. And there was a lot of interest from businesses to extend railroads, build hotels, farms, factories, and anything else that could make them money. Along came a young millionaire named Stephen Mather. His wealth gave him the freedom to step away from his business and pursue other goals. Having been involved in conservation groups like the Sierra Club and Boone and Crockett Club, he decided to pursue this area further. He went to Washington, D.C. and lobbied for a government-backed organization that would be in charge of managing national parks, getting the support from pretty much everyone. So the government said, All right, Stephen, we'll make the National Park Service, but you have to run it. Or at least something along those lines. So in 1916, the National Park Service was officially born, with Stephen Mather appointed as its first director. As of today, the National Park Service looks after more than 400 parks, monuments, and preserves across 84 million acres. This includes 85 miles of rivers and streams, 21,000 buildings, and 12,000 miles of trails. But it's not just the land they help preserve. It's also the many types of animals that live on it. In fact, there are hundreds of endangered species that are protected within our national parks, some of which don't exist in any other place in the world. And from what Ranger Trudy Patton was telling me, our relationship with these animals in our national parks has changed a lot since they first opened. When Yellowstone first became a national park, people were actually hunting their food while they were in the park. It has been illegal since 1902 to shoot animals in the park. Early managers of the park thought, oh, Yellowstone is here for the benefit and enjoyment of the people and the protection of the resources within the park. We should protect all of the good animals. So at the turn of the last century, there was what was called a predator reduction, and they tried to get rid of every single predator in the park. Um, but our philosophies have changed over time. Every animal has an important role to play in the ecosystem. And in part because of that, in 1995 and 96, we reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone National Park. They were one of the species that were completely eliminated with that predator reduction. And I've actually heard that the wolves have provided a great benefit to the ecosystem. Particularly it was destroying a lot of the land because of the elk grazing and so the wolves have come in and helped out with that. Yes, wolves are a natural predator of elk. They help us naturally regulate different populations of animals within the park. So everything is connected right. with that ecology. They do play a big role. It does affect a lot of other things when you change just one thing in the habitat. Are there any new ways that park rangers are beginning to protect or restore any of the wildlife here at the park? You know, technology is constantly changing. We're doing a lot of research here in Yellowstone, whether it happens by park rangers or cooperating universities. The colors that we're using in the park have changed over time. We still have a lot of telemetry collars in the park, but we're also using some GPS collars. And we have put a few cameras on collars as well so that we can see what those animals are seeing. 
We're also doing some overflights in the thermal areas, taking thermal imaging pictures to get a better idea of where those heat sources are. Our National Park Service does such a good job at taking care of our parks that we almost don't even notice how much work goes into their day-to-day -day assignments. And maybe that's kind of the point, right? When things are maintained properly, everything seems naturally clean and open. But in late 2018 and early 2019, America experienced the longest government shutdown in our history, which noticeably affected our national parks. A third of the park sites were closed. Visitors to the parks that remained open discovered that they didn't seem to have very many staff members on hand. This is because an estimated 16,000 Park Service employees were furloughed during this time. The shutdown was concerning because parks were left open to visitors, though there was significant understaffing. That's John Garter, who is the Senior Director of Budget and Appropriations at the National Parks Conservation Association, a nonprofit dedicated to helping our national park system. Essentially, the gates were left open with very few rangers to provide the visitor safety and the protection of park natural and cultural resources. And so it was not surprising and rather predictable that we saw things like the cutting down of Joshua trees, human waste, trash piling up, which uh, threatens, of course, human health, but also the health of wildlife. There was some looting and a number of other concerns about vandalism. Yeah, it, it sounds almost as if the government shutdown was a prime real-life example of how important having a National Park Service is because everyone got to have a glimpse of, oh man, what if we didn't have people who helped manage this stuff? That's right, and that essentially gets at the creation of the Park Service uh, more than 100 years ago now. There was no management that could ensure that our parks could be protected in a more robust and, and cohesive way. The shutdown ended after 35 days, and most staff members reported back to work. It was clear that our National Park Service does a lot to accommodate the public. But even though the shutdown ended, the service still has its fair share of difficulties, which John was able to shed some light on. What problems does our National Park Service currently face today in 2019? Parks remain significantly underfunded. Parks just don't have the levels of rangers, uh, specialists, interpretive staff, and other staff that are needed to provide resource protection and visitor services. In fact, they've been losing staff. Since 2011, parks have been struggling with significant increases in visitation. In a way, it's a good problem to have when people are flocking to their national parks because they're very special places. There's been a 14% increase in visitation to our national parks, while at the same time, there's been a 14% loss of staff during that same period. So it's a really problematic trend, and what happens is parks do a good job of directing staff towards providing for those visitors, but then maintenance work doesn't get done, and other things that park staff need to do just don't happen as a result because they're busy making sure people are parking in appropriate areas, making sure the bathrooms are good to serve visitors, and doing the kinds of other things that provide for a safe and functional visiting experience. 
in addition to understaffing, a significant problem the Park Service has had is their repairs backlog. It's now grown to $12 billion. That problem has been growing over the years. The budgets they have been receiving are insufficient to deal with just how big that backlog has become. And so you have projects in the tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, cannot be funded with current funding sources and they continue to age. So you mentioned that the attendance has been up for years. If attendance is up, why is it that staffing is, is down? It, it seems like if you have more people, you would have you know more money and more resources, but that doesn't seem to be the case, right? Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. Essentially, what's been happening is in 2011, Congress passed a bill that provided for budgetary limits that they really never intended. It was intended to motivate Congress to uh, provide for a more holistic approach to dealing with the federal deficit. Because that effort failed in the initial years, there have been mandatory spending caps. As a result, their purse strings are constrained. The pie is only so big and they have to give out pieces to a lot of things. So they're doing their best, but it's just not enough. And so when superintendents have a flat budget or just receive a 1% or 2% increase for their parks, it doesn't allow them to keep up with a number of uncontrollable costs. So the parks have had to just absorb these uncontrollable increases by cutting staff because staffing is most of the Park Service budget. What do you think the repercussions of the sort of same level of being underfunded and not having enough staff, what would be kind of the ramifications of that, let's say five years from now or even 10 years from now? What would it look like then? Well, uh, unfortunately, if this trend were to continue, we would probably see closed facilities because the Park Service just couldn't keep up with maintaining those facilities and damage to resources because the uh, the crowds can't be managed. Facilities would have to eventually be closed if they can't be repaired, which is why we're grateful that Congress has introduced and uh, made some movement on the Restore Parks Act which would dedicate $6.5 billion from energy revenues over five years towards this maintenance problem. How can today's generation contribute to the national park system? Things that you can do in your personal life are make decisions that are positive for the natural world. Making sure that you recycle at home right. or at work. Vote for people that will protect the areas. When you come to the national parks, make sure that you pick up a newspaper and follow the regulations, like staying 25 yards away from wildlife. Making sure that your food storage is proper so that bears can't get into your food. That you're staying on the boardwalks and trails in those thermal areas. John also had some good advice on how we can help out. There are at least a couple of things people can do, which is uh, to go out to their local national park, give the park a call and see if there's some volunteerism that they could do. Um, volunteers are important to provide some visitor services where um, park service staff just can't meet that need, but also a lot of maintenance projects that keep the backlog from growing, like trail repairs and uh, other landscaping work and things that people who are not you know, necessarily skilled 
technical laborers can do. And it's a really rewarding experience to go out and help your local national parks. They could also contribute to nonprofits that advocate to Congress on behalf uh, of national parks. And a third thing that people can do is call their members of Congress, call them and uh, urge them to support national parks. It's crazy to think that the same national parks we go to now have been visited by people in America for centuries in the past. I've been to places that my grandparents and their parents have seen, and I probably walked in their footsteps. And the great thing is, thanks to our National Park Service, what I experienced is probably close to what they did too. This country prides itself on the variety of its landscapes and the plants and animals that populate it. It's history that we can see up close, that we can feel in our soul. The truth is, we've always been connected to the land in a very special way, but it takes work to preserve it for future generations. After seeing so many of the different wonders of our parks, I think most would agree, it's well worth the effort. Thanks for listening to Reconnecting Roots. To learn more about the TV series, watch video clips, and more, go to reconnectingroots.tv. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. Until next time.